Hello, 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 and welcome to my podcast, That Show Fucked Me Up. It is I, the beautiful, the talented, the funny, your host, Mariel Vizcarra. Cue in the applause. What is up, Fucked Up fam? I am recording this Monday night, um, so it's the Monday of Memorial Day. And I didn't have any work today, so I had a three-day weekend. Very excited about that. I figured that I would just give you a run-through of my weekend. Friday, I literally did not do shit. I stayed home. I watched TV. I pigged out. Amazing. I needed that after a very, very stressful work week. Uh, Saturday, I saw that a dear friend of mine from la I, I he is a dear friend of mine but i know him because of other friends so i know him because of my roommate carla uh my ex-roommate carla shout out to carla serati serati i don't know why i said i said her last name like that if you want to follow her on anything she's c serati and he's also friends with uh melissa the host of the chatty fox podcast and i saw that he was down here and i'm like what are you doing this weekend and he let me know like oh uh friday we're going to downtown saturday we're going to hillcrest and i'm like hillcrest i'm trying to go to hillcrest with y'all so uh i met up with him and his friend eliza and we went to hillcrest it was a hell of a fucking night we got a little drunk we danced we had fun i fell off the stage like literally fell off like the elevated dancing stage all the way down a person fell on top of me, so I fell down, then he fell on top of me. It was a whole shit show, but it was a successful night. I did end up with a couple bruises. I have a bruise on my left butt cheek, a big scratch on my back, my elbows all bruised up, but was it worth it? A thousand percent. Did I have fun? A thousand fucking percent. Sometimes you just gotta fall. Sometimes you just gotta fall so that... um. I don't know where I was going with that. I have no fucking clue where I was going with that. I'm a little tired. I'm, I was supposed to get a lot of shit done this weekend. But as you can tell, I did not do that because I was busy being out and about. And then, so Saturday, that was Saturday, Saturday night. I had a lot of fun. Shout out to Mark Moreno. You the realest, you the baddest. I, an icon, an icon, a literal fucking icon. And then Sunday, so... My friend's boyfriend was selling um, tickets to the Padres game. And I was like, okay, I, I'll buy both of you, both of them off of you. But, but then Miss Mariel, your host, she hit up all of her San Diego friends and no one was free. Everyone was out of town. Everyone had plans. And I was like, wait, I don't have anyone to go to the baseball game with. And then I thought about it. I'm like, am I really going to let two tickets go to waste just because I don't have anyone to go to the baseball game with. And I was like, absolutely the fuck not. Absolutely the fuck not. I mean, I was a little bit hungover and I was like considering it like, oh, maybe I should just stay in and not do anything because it was an early game. It started at 110. But 
my friend Carla motivated me to go to the baseball game by myself. I had so much fucking fun. I had so much fucking fun. I sat down next to this like really rowdy family. They were super loud. They were spilling so much gossip. I was like super uh, like chismosa vibes listening into the gossip that they were spilling. The, the tea was fucking scorching hot. It was scorching. And then I, on the other side of me was like this mom and her like 10 year old kid and her 10 year old kid knew like all the statistics. He's like a diehard baseball fan. He knew all the players names and like, you know, just he was super excited and it was like really nice. And fucked up fam, this guy asked for my number and I gave it to him because I don't know how to say no and I'm so bad at confrontation and he kind of put me on the spot because he was with the family that was I was sitting next to and he's like, oh, can I have your number, blah, blah, blah. I don't know how to say no. I didn't want to sound like a bitch. How, can y'all get me some pointers? Like, how... Do I make myself less afraid of saying no and less afraid of confrontation? I need serious fucking help. Thank you. Please send it my way. Okay, so after... Okay, so I didn't know that at the top of the eight or top of the seventh inning... Like, I don't even know anything about baseball. I just got the tickets because I was like, I haven't gone to a baseball game this season or whatever. And I hadn't gone for a while. So I was like, I'll go. They stopped selling fucking alcohol. So I was only one beer in. I went to go get my other beer. And they were like, we are not selling alcohol anymore. And I was so sad. I was so devastated by that. But, you know, I made up for it. Because afterwards, I was like, okay, I came here in a fucking lift. And everyone's leaving at the same time. So I need to wait out everyone fucking leaving. So I just went to the fucking bar in the corner, uh, like right outside Peco Park. I had four beers, so <laughs> five with the one I actually drank inside the stadium. Uh, I think it was like a hazy IPA, or no, was it a pale ale? It was a 394 pale ale, I think. It was really good beer. It was really good beer. I was feeling myself. Um, I, I started talking to the couple that was there from, like, from their vacation. We had so much fun. The, there was this other dude sitting next to me, and two girls were trying to get at him, and I was like, I was really invested like I was rooting for my dude I was like bro if you get to take both of these girls home like you're the MVP MV fucking P uh but I left before knowing what happened because I was like I'm drunk I need to get home and have something to eat I I only had breakfast so it was like 7 p.m and I'd only had breakfast and I was five beers in I know, I know, I always do that. I always drink on like a semi-empty stomach. I need to stop doing that. I am a, an adult-ass woman. I am 26 years old, gonna be 27 this year. So I, someone teach me how to drink, just kidding. No, I could hold my, I could hold it down. I could hold it down a thousand percent. But yeah, that was my Sunday. And then on Monday, since it's Memorial Day, so today, and I had it off, I was like, ooh, I'm trying to go to UTC in La Jolla and pretend I'm a bougie-ass bitch and just buy shit. Like, I'm trying to spend some money on myself. Not that I not that I don't spend money on myself. I fucking do. But I still wanted to do that, so I went, walked around looking cute as fuck i was like maybe i'll find my like future husband here you know i mean finding your future husband in la jolla uh yes i am look i'm looking for a rich husband because i'm trying to 
do creative shit. I have already talked about it. I need someone to hold it down for me economic economically while I do all the stuff that I want to do that don't make me money. <laughs> But yes, uh, I had a lot of fun. I spent a lot of money, got sushi. It was a great, it was a great day today. And but now tomorrow I have work. Ew, and I have to go into the office. Ew, so nasty, so rude, and so nasty that we're being made to go to the office. But whatever. Besides the point, irrelevant. And last episode I mentioned that I was doing the papaya seed parasite cleanse, and I I think I did like six days. Honestly, the seeds, yeah, they're they're not great. I know last episode I was like, they're not that bad, but they're nasty. They're fucking nasty. Um, but I would chase it down with like some fruit or like I would make myself like a like a green juice or something. And it wasn't that I keep saying it wasn't that bad, but it was nasty. It it was nasty. Uh in conclusion, papaya seed cleanse was nasty. I think it did help though. I feel like I'm less bloated and shit like that. I look skinty in the morning, like super skinty. Uh, but yeah, that that was the update on the papaya seed parasite cleanse. Uh, I don't know. I'm not promoting it. I'm not telling you to do it. It was just something that I tried, and I'm giving you what happened, like my like what happened to me. If you want to do it, do your own research. I mean, I didn't, but you should. <laughs> um, what else? Uh. Pop culture segment. I have no idea what the fuck is going on in the pop culture world. However, current events in a much uh, serious, serious fucking tone. I, you know, the the school shooting um, in Texas just happened. And I try to avoid learning or seeing stuff that just in general, seeing stuff that traumatizes me because... Like, I I know I always talk about my little heart, but my little heart literally can't take it. I It can't take it. So much pain and suffering going on in the world. And then this and young lives taken for no fucking reason. For no fucking reason. Just the reason. Just, just to be evil. Just to be fucking evil. It breaks my, my heart. It breaks my soul. It makes me think that there's no humanity and you know i try not to think about it but being in social media you're being bombarded by fucking information bombarded and you're just scrolling and everything you see is it goes back to that and for me i i feel like i disassociate sometimes with like when when horrible shit like this happens um also the you know um the other shooting that happened recently in the grocery store i try to disassociate because i know that the united states won't do anything to change laws because and i actually i have um i have a poem about this um you know, about gun violence, and maybe I'll share it sometime, but not today. I read it recently after the events, and I, like, literally sobbed all throughout it because it's just, whoo, I I can't even put it into words. But the United States cares so much more about their gun rights 
than about keeping children safe and sound. And, you know, it's the argument of like, oh, this is not a gun issue. This is a mental health issue. Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Because why can't it be both? It's both a gun issue and a mental health issue. And I feel like the NRA is always like, no, like, oh, we feel for the victims, but this is not this, you know, they would have gotten guns either way or whatever. It's so stupid. But, you know, I feel for the victims. I feel for the victims' families. I'm fucking destroyed. I like, you know, I try to disassociate it for, for as long as possible because I don't have the time to mourn. I, I don't like it sounds fucking stupid. I'm so fucking busy. And, you know, with work and this happened during uh, like the fucking work week. It's like and then it we it got to like Thursday and at work we had like this open forum where, you know, you know, we could go and talk about current events and shit like that, like non work related current events. And I went and I just had my video off the whole time. I didn't even participate. I was just listening in because I finally allowed myself to mourn and like actually feel what happened. So I was just sobbing the whole time. But it it breaks my heart because I know the lawmakers in this country or, you know, politicians. I, I hate it all. I hate not having any power and I feel so powerless and I know a lot of people feel that same way that no matter what we do and who we vote for and and stuff like that I feel like change is not coming and it's only the fucking United States it's the same thing with like the COVID stuff it's like why are all these other countries okay with like okay if your fucking government tells you to wear a fucking mask you wear a fucking mask and if they tell you to get vaccinated you put on the fucking vaccine and you shut the fuck up but no not in the u.s no because we have freedom to do all these things but is it really freedom is it really freedom when you're putting someone else's life at risk it you know yeah I'm going to stop talking about that now because I'm going to be, I'm really fucking upset. I am really, really fucking upset and I am pissed. And I'm going to get even more pissed because this episode pissed me the fuck up. (laughs) Uh, Let's take a little break while I recover so we could uh, get started with the episode. All right. Episode 4 of Midnight Mass is called Book 4, Lamentations. And I just want to fucking point out, this episode, Mr. Mike Flanagan did it again. What is up with these long-ass fucking episodes? An hour, an hour, and 10 minutes. 70 minutes long. Mike Flanagan, if I have one complaint and one complaint only, it is that these episodes are too fucking long. These are fucking movies. These are movies. I take three fucking days taking notes. (laughs) But, you know, I respect the craft. It is a very um, dialogue heavy episode. So bear with me. I'm going to be talking you through the fucking long ass conversations long ass monologues so just a little fyi just a little heads up be prepared 
All right. So the episode opens up and Aaron is meeting up with Dr. Sarah just to check up to make sure that the baby is doing well. Aaron calls the baby uh, a her. So she's just assuming that the baby is a girl. And she's like, I hope that you will slip up and just tell me what the sex of the baby is. Um, Sarah asks Aaron how she's feeling as she's list, like trying to listen for a heartbeat. And Aaron tells her that she's just overwhelmed but excited to just wear those loose pants uh, all the time and be co- in comfy clothing. And Sarah's having a hard time finding a heartbeat. And Aaron is just saying that she's waiting to get those weird cravings that everyone's always talking about, but that she hasn't gotten them yet. Then Aaron asks if everything sounds good. But Sarah just tells her that she does she does want to look at the baby after all and she turns on the ultrasound machine so when uh, Aaron got there she's like oh I'll just listen in but now she wants to look at the baby Sarah asks Aaron how the baby's movement has been and if she's noticed a difference in the last 24 to 48 hours and Aaron just tells her that she hasn't Sarah turns the screen away from Aaron so just towards her and Aaron notices that there's something wrong but she tries to keep keep cool and tell Sarah that she has changed her mind and that she does want to know the sex of the baby. Sarah just asks her if she's had any cramps or any bleeding, but Aaron again says no, and, th- and then she notices that she hasn't heard a heartbeat. She asks Sarah what she sees and that she wants to take a look, but Sarah turns the screen towards her and shows her that there's nothing coming up in the ultrasound. Aaron is confused, and Sarah just tells her that there's nothing in her uterus. Aaron sits up and Sarah explains that in the early weeks, people sometimes miscarry without realizing it. But as far as long as Aaron was, it would have been a very noticeable change. Uh, Sarah starts apologizing to Aaron, but Aaron is adamant that she did not miscarry. Sarah explains that there's nothing that she can do, but that she can do a blood panel and send it over to the mainland hospital. Aaron just asks, just keeps saying that she didn't miscarry and just sternly asks, where is my baby? Aaron tells her that she's, uh, Sarah tells her that she's going to put her in touch with a colleague in the mainland. And again, Aaron asks, where is my baby? Cut to Beth Keen putting up a sign that a mass is canceled for the day. And then we see her walk into the rectory home and the handyman is looking at the picture of a young Monsignor Pruitt in front of St. Patrick's Church. And he keeps staring at it probably to make sure that he isn't dreaming about how Monsignor Pruitt miraculously became young again and is now Father Paul. Bev asks the handyman how Father Paul is, and he doesn't respond because he's mesmerized by the picture in the old newspaper. And Bev just goes on about how incredible it all is and how she had seen old photos of the Monsignor before, but that it never even crossed her mind when she first met Father Paul. And I guess, uh, so the handy, I believe his name is Sturge, and we've met him before. He's also the handyman. He works at the docks. He's a jack of all fucking trades. So uh, Bev asks if Dolly and Wade, the mayor and his wife, finally headed home, and Sturge just nods, and Bev is going on about how that's good and how they all need some sleep. Bev asks again how Father Paul is doing and if he has a fever or if he's eating, and Sturridge just says that he didn't get too close and how none of, none of them did and that they were all a bit scared shitless if truth was to be told. Bev is like, scared? And then cut to Bev going inside the father's room and he isn't looking too great. Bev is like, oh goodness, why is it so dark in here? And how he's 
now all up and about and she she says it's like god heard my prayers and mentions how she was worried sick about him and she says how he's had quite the night and i don't know if dying and coming back to life would warrant me describing it as quite the night but to each their own beth to each their fucking own Beth hands him some chicken and ginger soup that she made and Father Paul thanks her and mentions how he's starving and she says, makes sense. You you were always starving after a long trip and you've had quite the journey, kind of referencing that he went to heaven and back. She starts referencing some people from the Bible who have taken that same journey like he has like Lazarus and then Jesus, but that it took Jesus three days to come back unlike the father, unlike Father Paul. Father Paul asks if she canceled Mass, and, and she tells him that she did, and that Sturge is waiting in the church to let people know in case they missed the sign. Beth says that he's looking better and how she imagines that he will be ready by tomorrow if he eats up. I also forgot to mention that Beth tried to open the blinds in his room, but he told her not to because the light hurts his eyes. Hmm, Interesting. Father Paul tells her that he will eat later and Beth tells him that she can give Sarah a call for a quick checkup, but he tells her that that is not necessary. He tells her that everything that is happening is a matter of faith and not of science and he wouldn't want to bring Sarah in. He also comments on how Beth has always been a woman of great faith and Beth is like, Beth is like super happy that he noticed like her panties are all in a fucking bunch because Father Paul is like, oh, you're a woman of great faith, aren't you? And Father Paul tells her that he wants to confide something in her and she sits down next to him and he tells her that something is shifting inside of him and references how when he was younger, he experienced sprouts of great spiritual growth. And he just says that this time it is different because he actually feels something moving inside of him. And Beth is like, that's wonderful. Again, this girl is like all fucking wet for Father Paul. I mean... Not for Father Paul. She's all fucking wet for Jesus. But then Father Paul says that he wants to be left alone uh, to pray and she leaves. But she seems upset that she can't experience this spiritual growth firsthanded. Beth gets up to leave and then she lingers by the door and she turns around and tells Father Paul that Dolly and Wade are good people. And that they can keep a secret and that Serge is going to answer God's call and be a good apostle to Father Paul. And how he just needs some guidance. Beth says that they can keep what happened quiet for a while, but they, but that they should show the community who he really is and that he shouldn't hide his light under a bushel. Beth makes sure to say that they will do whatever Father Paul seems fit and that if he doesn't think the town is ready, then that is also okay. She also references how Jesus revealed himself lowly after his resurrection, but that the island would be happy to hear that an angel restored their very own Monsignor Pruitt back to his young age. She tells Father Paul to think about it, and he says, it will be in God's time. And Beth responds that there is no other kind of time. Oh, my God, that writing? Amazing. In God's time. And when you're religious as fuck, then obviously there isn't any other type of time. The devil's time. That's that's the time I'm trying to be at. Like, that's the time that seems a little, like, a little cray-cray, like, a little uh, spicy, you know? Like, I bet the devil has a lot of fun. <laughs> Beth uh, exits and Father Paul looks down at his arm and uh, he has a burn in his hand and he puts his arm out towards like the light in the crack in the blinds in his room and the light burns him and he pulls his arm away quickly okay 
let's think about it. This man, uh, the light hurt his eyes. The sunlight burns his skin. Skin, not skin. The light burns his fucking skin. I grew up religious. I never heard of a fucking angel or like of any good thing that is hurt by sunlight. I feel like that is a red flag. Girlies, besties, girls, gays, and days. If he only comes out at night, that is a red flag. Am I right, ladies? <laughs> All right. Uh, cut to Ed driving the he driving the boat like Megan the Stallion. I just kidding. <laughs> cut to Ed, um, Riley's dad, and Riley. Uh, they're in the boat. Riley's helping him out to fish or whatever, whatever you do when you fish. I've never fished. Well, I went fishing once, but I didn't catch anything, and it was really boring, and it was fucking hot. Besides the point, irrelevant. So Ed thanks uh, Riley, his son, for helping him out, and Riley mentions how he's starting to think that he doesn't really need the help since Ed is feeling better about his back. Riley asks if that is why he told Warren that he could take the day off, and Ed is like, not really, and says that he thought that they could just talk, just them two man to man. Ed tells Riley that he made a confession a few days ago and that the father encouraged him to talk some things out with Riley. And he begins telling Riley how he guesses that he has harbored some resentment towards him and how he he um, he just th chalked it all up to like normal friction between like a father and a son. Uh, when he would act, when Riley would act like being a fisherman or living in Crockett Island was beneath, beneath him. And Riley tries to tell his dad that it wasn't that, but Ed just reiterates that he still acted that way and how then he was gone. How he didn't even know what to tell people about what he was doing since he knows nothing's about starters, but he meant to say startups, and how he resented how Riley didn't even try to explain to him, his dumb blue-colored dad, um, what it was and what he did. Riley explains how he tried to tell him once, but that they didn't get very far since Ed said that he didn't care about the internet. Ed interrupts him and tells him that he had already, he already had resentment in his heart and when, when he shouldn't have, but then all the rest happened and he really resented that. Not just the embarrassment or the negative stigma of it all, but the money they had to spend on Riley's legal fees. The cost of Riley living with them now and Riley's like, gee, I'm really glad we're having this, this talk, Dad. Ed asks him to let him finish, and he continues, I know I should be grateful. Grateful that my son is home and free, uh, but that he's like, children don't just do what you did uh, on their own unless one of their parents failed them in an awful way. And he comments how uh, Riley's mother, his wife, is a saint, so that just leaves him. Ed says, I apologize, son, for whatever I did. They stay quiet for a bit, and Ed tells Riley, I love you. I really do. It's just somehow it is hard for me to show that when you're here, so I apologize. That is all. Then Ed changes the subject and says that they should head back home before it gets too late. Bro, Riley, Riley, it took your dad so much guts to tell you that he loves you and like to come clean about all this shit. Maybe it's not what you wanted to hear, but he's being honest about his experience. Tell your dad that you love him too, Riley. Riley, tell your dad that you love him. It took so much for Ed to express himself. Oh, 
breaks my fucking heart, bro. Cut to Sarah putting some blood and some tubes. Um, so I'm guessing it's Aaron's blood panel. And Mildred walks in and Sarah is surprised to see her up again. Sarah wants to see if her memory is doing better. So she asks her mom like a series of questions like what short did she did growing up? And Mildred tells her that she used to clean the house and always do the dishes. Sarah asks what she and her friends did when they were younger for fun. And Mildred says that there wasn't much to do in the crock pot, but that they would go, they would always go to the uppers for booze and boys. So I feel like a lot hasn't changed because Warren and Uker and Ali still go to the uppers to just like smoke weed and like drink a little. So it's nothing to do but the same things. And Sarah then asks what her dad's name was. And Mildred thinks about it for a second and says that his name was George and that he was a fisherman. And then he joined the Navy and how they met in the dance in the mainland. Then Sarah asks if Mildred knows who she is, and Mildred responds, You are my world, my heart and soul, my daughter, Sarah. Bro, why am I teary-eyed right now? Why? Who's cutting onions? Why are my eyes sweating, for real? Like, that, that line just got me. Oh, my God. Relationships between mother and daughters, my fucking God. Then Mildred asks her if she would like some tea and that she's going to make some tea. Mildred wobbles out and then Sarah notices the sound behind her and the blood specimen that she had put in the tube has started fucking bubbling as if it was boiling and it's the only tube that is being hit by direct sunlight. Sarah goes up to it and then she notices that the tube gets so hot that it breaks and she's startled. Then we go to Aaron and Riley is inside. Then we go go to Aaron. Um, they're at Aaron's house and Riley's inside her house sitting in a couch and Aaron is sitting on the floor putting some things away. And she's going on about how she has been meaning to pack her mom's things since she got back, but that she never got around to it. She, men she mentions how it was never a priority and how today she got through two rooms and half the attic. Riley just tells her, whatever you have to do. And Aaron is staring at a cross-stitch that her mom made, and she's going on about how a lot of people cross-stitch Bible verses, but that her mom cross-stitched cross-stitched a passage from lamentation so the name of the episode and i was like bro i went to i went to bible i went to like sunday school i i was raised catholic but bro i went to uh, like church in spanish i don't know none of the fucking bible verses i know none of the books i know nothing about the bible so i was like Oh, I like Googled what is Lamentations, like uh, like summary of Lamentations from the Bible. And I came across this. The book of Lamentations expresses the humiliation, suffering, and despair of Jerusalem and her people following the destruction of the city by the Babylonians in 587 BCE. Aaron then says, it's a special kind of self-pity to identify with the destruction of Jerusalem. She also tells an anecdote about how um, when she was a kid, they kept birds and how her mom spent weeks building this ridiculous coop for the birds and that she ordered doves from the mainland and how the first thing her mom wanted to do when the birds got there was to clip their wings and how she called little Aaron over and Aaron was only seven years old and asked her to hold the doves while her mom cl clipped the wings. And when Aaron asked her why she did it, that she just told her so that he wouldn't fly away. Afterwards, she also told her everyone gets their wings clipped at some point to a seven-year-old. And then Erin, with her seven-year-old brain, of course, asked her mom, Mom, 
did you ever get your wings clipped? And her mom responds, yep, oh yes, the day you were born. Are you fucking kidding me, bro? What the trauma, the motherfucking trauma. Why would you tell that to your child? Look, this is why abortion should be legal because why are you bringing these child these children into the world where you won't love them and you you won't care for them the way that they need to and then they turn into damaged fucking adults come on people if the supreme court is listening to this right now do not do not i tell you overturn rover v wade because i'm coming for you this podcast is coming for the supreme court yes we are yes we fucking are and then um aaron says She's holding those clippers, and I had the bird in my hand, and it is purring like a cat. And something inside me is saying, let it go. And so she did. And then that her mom hit her. Erin tells Riley that her mom was always drinking, screaming, hitting, or just being passive-aggressive, but that the message was always clear about how she, Erin, ruined her life. Erin says, but Littlefoot, that baby saved mine, referencing her pregnancy. She tells Ray Riley how she did what she always said she was going to do, how she ran away at 16 and how she was going to become an actress and she traveled and she lived and by the time she woke up and the drugs had worn off, she realized that she had married her mother. How at first he was clingy and then he was mean and then he drank all the time and then he finally hit her. And how she recognized that posture. She knew it and how she would have stayed with him and died in that house. And how one day she woke up and felt different, sick. So she took that test and saw that little plus sign and that she just stared at it. And then she packed her bags and never looked back. Aaron begins to cry and says, she saved me and now she's gone. How is that possible? Let's take a little break here. Let's talk about how sometimes you become the person you hate the most. And that could be a, a family member, a parent, a loved one, a friend. And then there are other times when you fall in love with the person that you hate the most or like a similar version of the person you hate the most. Isn't that terrifying? Isn't that absolutely fucking insane? And that you just accept it because it's what you've always known and you think that's normal, even though deep down you know that it isn't fucking normal? Bro, I am shooketh to my very core. Listeners, if you're in a relationship that you recognize in a bad way, in a negative way, where you feel like I've been here before and this is not good, leave. Get the fuck out of there. Get the fuck out of there. And if you need help, my DMs are always open. What do you need me to do? I got you. I fucking got you. Uh, advice? I won't give you the best advice, but I'll try. If you need some encouragement, bro, I'll call you and I'll be like, leave, leave that piece of shit. Because it's crazy. And Erin uh, talks about it. She's like, I would have died in that house. And a lot of fucking domestic violence ends 
and death. Like, because it just goes on forever. Ah, <sighs> breaks my fucking heart. All right. Um, so then Riley finally speaks up and shares that he has a dream, a recurring dream that he has had since he was in jail. How the how in the dream he's out in the boat in the middle of the water, and there's just gray water all around him, morning water, right as the sun is about to rise. And if he could just find wind or or paddle with his hands and change the direction of the boat that is standing still, that he would, so he could end up in a different shore and start a new life, that he would do it if he could, but he can't. And the dream always ends with the sun rising, always, and how he never gets further than the sunrise. That the sunrise is real, but that anything after is not real. And the more that he has that dream, the more he just knows it's not in the cards for him. Then he says, I'm not getting off these, this island. I know it. But he turns to Aaron and tells her, but you, but you, you can do anything. You always could do anything. Aaron asks him to pray with her and he agrees. Then Aaron uh, and him grab hands and she says, please, God, help me understand. Please have mercy on us. Our sorrow is too much. Mercy. And then they, play, they pray a Lord's Prayer together, or as I like to call it, the Padre Nuestro. Uh, cut to Father Paul in his chambers, also doing the Lord's Prayer. And then he gets attacked by this like type of pain inside him that is making his body like contoured and like weird angles. And he, he had been holding a, a rosary in his hand and he notices that the ro rosary burned across into his hand. And he is bleeding again, my dude. Let's go through it. The uh, sun hurts his eyes. Uh, sunlight burns his skin. A rosary is burning into your fucking skin, bro. These are not good signs. These are not godly signs, Father Paul. So I don't know what fucking story you've con you've constructed in your fucking mind that makes you think like you know what? Yes. This is the Lord talking through me, through this angel I met up with in Jerusalem. No, sir. Sir, if an angel has to drink blood, blood off of your fucking neck like a fucking vampire, these are not good signs. Read the fucking room, Father Paul, a.k.a. Monsignor Pruitt. <laughs> And then Father Paul does this thing that, again, a red flag, he starts sucking the blood on his hand. Where And then he, we see him take that same cross from the rosary, and it's a sharp as fuck cross, and he deliberately cuts himself in the inside of his hand, and he begins drinking his own fucking blood. And it only bleeds for a little bit because then the wound closes up quickly, and then he continues with his prayer. We then uh, see Joe standing in front of the fridge with all the beers in the general store, and he looks like he's going through withdrawals. And wait, well, I mean, yes, right? You can get withdrawals from alcohol. It's like a drug. It's um, it's a stimulant. So the same way you get withdrawal, or I get withdrawals when I don't drink coffee, I guess it could happen the same with alcohol, maybe a little bit stronger. Uh, Sheriff Hassan is like like witnessing this uh, as Joe tries to fight his inner inner demons uh, and to not get himself a beer. The sheriff's like, "Hi, Joe," and Joe asks uh, and and ask him what he's doing. And uh, Lo, 
Joe asks the sheriff how he's doing, and Sheriff Hassan is like, I'm good, but the day is young. And then he's like, Joe, what type of night am I going to have? And Joe is like, how should I know? And then the sheriff asks if he's really okay, and Joe tells him that he's working on it before turning. Uh, he turns to the beer fridge and says, fuck you, and walks out. Back with Father Paul, and it's night now, so he's able to walk outside, and he murmurs a prayer to himself as he as he walks, and we see that he ends up at Sarah's house. And Sarah's surprised to see him, but Father Paul apologizes for going so late, but that he got held up all day and how he owes uh, her mother her mass. Father Paul goes to Mildred's room, and Mildred is sitting up and attentive, but when she sees him, she calls him John. Mildred fucking recognizes him. Father Paul tells her that Sarah let her in and that he heard that she has been feeling better. Mildred wants to know how it is possible that he's there looking like that. And he says, if you have faith and never doubt and how God with and how with God, all things are possible. He goes over and sits in front of Mildred and they reach for each other's hands. And Mildred tells him that she thought that it was a dream when she first saw him by her bedside and how he looks so young. And Father Paul asks, and Father Paul says, if it is a dream, then we're all having it. And he laughs like a young schoolboy and tells Mildred that he has so much to tell her. But before then, he gives her the He gives her her mass communion, and he pours the wine and hands it to her. Cut back to Riley and Aaron, and Aaron has her head in Riley's lap, and she says, I just realized that you must think I'm foolish. And Riley tells her that he doesn't, and Aaron says that he prayed with her all day, and that she loves him for that, but how she knows that he doesn't believe in God. Riley says that even though he doesn't believe, that he understands it and its appeal. He says that since he lived a moment of complete odds with the existence of a loving God, a.k.a. Him, pull, him killing a young girl while drunk driving, it is hard for him to believe. Aaron asks if he thinks that she's delusional or naive, and he says no, that he thinks that they all want so badly for there to be a reason for everything, for some sort of comfort. Aaron says that, yeah, that's where religion comes from and how... and how that's the whole that's the whole question what happens when we die and she asks riley what he thinks and he says that he doesn't know but that he can speak for himself and says when i die my body stops functioning shut down my heart stops breathing clinical death and then five minutes later my brain cell starts dying but in the meantime Maybe the brain rele releases some DMT, and then he has some sort of, of dream, dream, a bigger dream than he has ever had before. And then how his mind is rifling through all of his memories, and he, he calls it a curtain call, a dream that dreams all dreams. And then after a while, brain activity ceases to exist, so everything just stops. No awareness of who he ever was. And he says, no awareness if I ever hurt someone. No awareness that I ever killed someone. Everything is as it was before me. And how then he becomes death tissue. He says that his material body keeps on living for a while, but then it will start breaking apart and serving a purpose, feeding life to an organism. And how his atoms go in plants and animals and in the sky and stars, and he just gets scattered across the cosmos 
then he asks Aaron what she thinks uh, when she, what happens when she dies. Aaron asks if speaking for herself and Riley nods his head, but then Aaron says no, because I'm not the one that died today. Aaron says she was never awake, how she was just this forming little body. It was asleep, so all she ever knew was a dream. She only ever dreamed, and then in her sleep, that perfect little, little spirit just lifted up because God didn't send her to suffer through life on earth. No, this one, this special little soul, God just sent her down here to sleep, just a little nap, a quick dream, and then he called her back. He wanted her back, so she went back, same as when she floated a one she rose above the earth, past all the souls, and into a light so bright that it that is the first time she starts to wake up, and she's wrapped in the feeling of love and how she's pure. She has never sinned. She's never heard a single living thing. Erin continues and says that she's never alone. She's surrounded by family that love her, and when God comes down to kiss her head, the second he says her name, she just grows up in a blink of an eye, and that she is perfect. Her body as it would have been on her best age on earth, the perfect age, peak health, and that they tell her that her mom is still on earth and that she'll be there soon, that she is loved and that she isn't alone. And that's what we mean when we say heaven, no luxurious place, just being loved and never being alone. That is God. That is heaven. And that is why we endure everything that we endure on earth. She says that she'll be there soon enough and she'll see her father and her grandmother and her little girl and that she will be happy and safe. Riley responds, I really hope you're right. Aaron reaches over to hold his hand. Then we see Father Paul adding some liquid from his flask to the wine in the rectory and he starts getting a pain inside of him uh, again. He walks outside and yells out, where are you? And then he starts praying silently and asking the angel of God where he is. We see him back inside and he drinks the wine that he had just put inside the chalice. And he had, he had left the door open and we see that Joe sees him drink the wine. Joe apologizes for sneaking up on him and disturbing him. And he mentions how he had a hard day. but that uh, So Joe is like, I had a hard day, but I did good. I didn't drink. Father Paul congratulates him, but Joe continues and says how it was a real struggle, but that he remembered how Father Paul said to come to the church if it ever felt like too much, but that he can see that the father is busy. Father Paul tells him to come inside, um, but then the Father Paul gets one of his like pains, and Joe asks if he's okay. And Father Paul begins to tell him that he's not been feeling like himself today. And then Joe looks over and sees the fucking newspaper clipping with the picture of Monsignor Pruitt when he was young. Oh, my God. If all of these fucking people are seeing that fucking newspaper, why don't they take down the fucking newspaper clipping? Like, what? Like, what? I don't get it. <laughs> Joe looks at the picture closely and says, well, that's uncanny, ain't it? And how Father Paul could be his son. Joe, Joe says that there was a rumor going around about when uh, uh, the Monsignor Pruitt was younger, how he wasn't exactly celibate and how he's no one to judge a man for his vices. Joe begins walking out and tells him that he'll see him tomorrow at the meeting. 
but Father Paul asks him to wait, and he approaches him and tells him that he's proud of him, and he apologizes for his behavior, saying that he wasn't expecting anyone, but that he's still very proud of him um, uh, for finding the strength not to drink today because he knows about the compulsion and the hunger and how hard it is to fight it. Do you, Father Paul? Do you really? Father Paul extends his arms open to give Joe a hug, and Joe approaches him, and they hug, and Father Paul tells him, God bless you. Uh, this hug went on longer than it needed to, and Joe tries to pull away, but Father Paul is not letting him go. And Joe tries to break free of his grasp, but then he falls back and hits his head in the corner of the coffee table. Joe is now on the floor, and he has a head wound wound and he's losing a lot of blood rapidly and father paul approaches him and he grabs some of the blood on the floor with his fingers and father paul licks his fingers joe is still alive at this point but father paul just starts licking and slurping the blood uh, off the ground we then get a shot of outside the rectory house and it all looks still like nothing's going on. And then it cuts back inside and Father Paul is sucking off the blood off of Joe's fucking head wound. And this was definitely intended to be a jump scare because then the like after we see that the screen goes dark. And oh my God, how is there still 30 fucking minutes left of this episode? <laughs> That's what I wrote in my fucking notes. So it's now morning and we see Riley is waking up next to Aaron. They're fully clothed, by the way. They did not do the hanky-panky. They did not have any sexy time. They just slept next to each other. Because, of course, she just went through a horrible fucking trauma. And he's trying to be there for the woman he once loved. Uh, and he tells her that he had that dream again last night. And how this one was a bit different. And how there was no sun yet, but she was there too. Aaron asks what he thinks that means, and Riley says that he doesn't respond, and he just says that he should go unless uh, she wants him to walk her to church. Aaron tells him that she doesn't think she's going to go to church today and how she wants to go to the mainland to get a second opinion. Riley tells her that he wouldn't blame her if she didn't want to leave her house for the next month after losing her baby. And then Aaron tells him that he can come back after if he wants later, maybe tonight. So, oh, okay. Miss Erin is giving him a formal invitation back to her house at night. Wink, wink. Uh, and she reiterates, you can come back tonight, maybe. And he tells her that he can do that and, that and then he gets up to leave. Cut to the sheriff's house and he's sitting in his couch and he's going through it. Ali comes out and he's dressed on his Sunday best and the sheriff just looks up at his son. And Ali tells him that he's not going to do commun communion or anything. The sheriff says that he can't because he's not Christian. And Ali is like, we've been over this. And that he understands but, and that he's curious. Um, no, he's like, we've gone over this and you said that I could go. And the sheriff tells him that he knows, that he, that he understands that he's curious. And that he won't tell him not to look for God, but how they already have a God, their God. Ali thanks his dad and acknowledges that this isn't easy for him before walking out. Cut to Aaron in the little boat to go to the mainland. And then we we are, then it cuts to the church and it is like full, like always after Father Paul got there. And Ali is sitting down next to Lisa. And then we see Ed tell Riley how he did not come home last night. 
Father Paul is not showing up and Beth walks over to the rector and begins to knock and tells him that they're all waiting, but he does not answer. She takes out her key and walks inside and finds Father Paul sitting in the corner of the dark room with blood in his face and Joe's dead body on the floor. Beth walks over like she just like steps over Joe, like not even acknowledging acknowledging that he is dead on the floor. And she goes over to Father Paul and she tells him that he does not have to explain himself and himself, but that they, they have to get him cleaned up and into the church. Father Paul is like, OK, but here's the thing. And then shows Beth that the sun burns his skin when exposed to it. And Bev is like, oh, Lord. And then tells him that he's going to have to stay inside and that she has a plan. We then see Beth coming back to the church and she addresses the people there and tells them how it is a delight to see the church so full, but that today they're going to have to cancel mass since Father Paul is still recovering from a stomach back bug. So a stomach bug, a.k.a. from drinking all that blood. This motherfucker is blood drunk. Uh, so the mayor, Dolly, and Sturge are all looking at each other, like obviously knowing that something is not right and that he doesn't have a stomach bug because the night before they literally saw him come back to life. Um, but Beth calls Dolly over and asks if she could come up in front of the church and lead the people on some singing and some prayers and how they can celebrate the way people used to before there were any priests to lead the mass. Uh, and actually that was really interesting. Like, I didn't know that before there were priests, people just like gathered and like read from the Bible and just vibed like no priest in sight, just vibes, literal vibes. Beth walks out of the church and the mayor and Sturge follow after her. Cut to Beth giving Sturge and, and the mayor an order. Uh, so instructions on how to get rid of Joe's body. And she basically tells them to tie him to an anchor, to tie an anchor to his body and to dunk it in the ground, um, to dunk it in the water five miles out. The mayor, uh, Wade, literally has no words. And Beth is like super condescending and is like, yes, Wade, what would you like to say? Wade is like, this is Joe Collins. And then shouts to Beth, what the hell did you do? Beth goes over and slaps the shit out of the mayor and says, the man who acts presumptuously and does not obey the priest who stands to minister there before the Lord, your God, that man shall die. She then says, you are correct. This is Joe Colley, not Ed Flynn or your daughter or you. This is the man that you put your daughter in a wheelchair and how Joe has been a scourge to the community his whole life. She calls him a sinner, a lech, and a heathen of the first order. And he's a maimer of children and a blessing to no one. And God has ended his time on earth. Beth then calls over to Father Paul, but she calls, for the first time ever, she calls him Monsignor and asks him to tell them what, why he did what he did. Father Paul is still sitting in the corner of the room looking defeated. And Father Paul explains that something came over him. And then Beth explains that something moved through him. She tells Wade that he forgets that angels were sent to Egypt to slaughter the firstborn of, their, of all the Egyptians and turn cities to salt, women and children alike, and drown the world when, when everyone was too lost to their sins. And damn, dude, I, I don't remember learning this in fucking Bible study. I mean, I learned from, what was that fucking... The fucking movie, dude, that fucking movie's crazy. The Prince of Egypt. I watched it in Spanish when they part the fucking Red Sea and like all the fucking miracles. And then like 
I guess, like, you know, the bugs start attacking them and then they have to put blood all over their door so they won't get killed. I remember that movie, that movie went hard, bro. <laughs> but I guess that's what she's talking about. And then Beth continues. Monsignor Pruitt is a miracle of God and a performer of miracles and how God has a plan and is working through him and that they all have to do their part. Beth is being super passionate and quoting how Jesus said that he was not there to bring peace, but a sword. And if he wants to pick and choose which works of God are palatable for him, how he should return the miracle that was granted to his daughter and let her go back to sitting, sitting in her wheelchair. She also tells him that he has no right to cherry pick the glories of God. Then she gives him an order to wrap up Joe's body and get rid of it. Beth goes up to the Monsignor and asks if he has any guilt in his heart for doing what he has he had to do. And then Father Paul tells him that he doesn't. And that and then she hands him her hand to pick him up and she walks him to his room to rest. Cut to Aaron sitting in the doctor's office and the doctor comes in and apologizes for keeping her waiting. But then the doctor mentions how she's not sure if the information that Aaron gave her is entirely accurate. And Aaron tells her that she could put her in touch with Sarah, her doctor, uh, back in Crockett Island, but that she just wants to understand how this could happen. And the doctor says, well, I don't believe anything has. She, she tells her that her tests all are negative and all her levels are normal and not elevated. And how when someone has a miscarriage, those levels still remain elevated. So the doctor just basically told Aaron that there's no sign that she was ever pregnant. Aaron tells her that she had an ultrasound and she heard a heartbeat, but the doctor just tells her that the body is not her body is not the body of a woman who has been pregnant. Obviously, my girl Aaron is shook and she's trying to argue that she was pregnant, but the doctor tells her that according to the blood test, she wasn't. And the doctor asks if they can arrange for her to speak with someone in the psych department. Um, it is now getting so we're back in Crockett Island. It's getting darker and Riley shows up to the rec building for their AA meeting. And Father Paul gets there a bit later saying that he's feeling a bit later, better. They're having their session and Riley has just told him about Aaron's miscarriage. And Father Paul says that he will go visit her and check in on her. And Riley asks, what would he have said to Aaron? And he gives a pretty generic response that you usually give to someone when they lose someone. And how no one can ever understand the will of God, blah, blah, blah. How it is okay to not understand, but also acknowledge that they probably never will understand the will of God. Father Paul asks how his amends are going, and Riley says, like, oh, shouldn't we wait for Joe? And Father Paul says that Joe is not joining them today. And Riley's like, oh, no, don't tell me that he fell off the wagon. And he mentions how he really wanted this, uh, you know, sobriety to work out for Joe. And he's, like, being super genuine, like, he's really upset that, you know, Joe is not there. But Father Paul says that Joe did not fall off of the wagon. Uh, he just sucked up all his blood. Uh, JK, he doesn't say that. And how he saw him yesterday, true. And that he told them that he was proud of him, another truth. And But that he's off the island today. Uh, that's a truth, too, because he's probably dunked in the fucking water. And then he says the lines that gave him away. Father Paul says, Joe is visiting his sister, I think. He's not sure he's not sure when he's going to come back. And Riley asks his sister and Father Paul says, "Yep, that's right." Bro, if we remember correctly, last episode, fucking Joe told Riley that his sister died and that Joe was upset that he was not able to go visit her when she was living in the mainland. 
Father Paul, you need to get your sources, right? And then they begin a prayer, but Riley now knows that Father Paul is lying and being sketchy. Cut to the Flynn household and they're having dinner and Riley's mom is going on about how she isn't surprised that Father Paul has been ill. He has been working so hard since he got to Crockett Island. She mentions how Father Paul is a saint and how he has been bringing Mildred the sacrament every day. She also brings up how overjoyed she was to see Ali at church since he is Warren's friend and that it must have taken a lot of courage to go alone, especially coming from a very traditional upbringing background. Then we see Riley in his room and Annie, his mom, walks in and asks if he's heading out for the night and he says yes. And she tells him to give Erin her best and to tell her how sorry she is for her loss. Annie begins to tell an anecdote about when Riley was a little boy and how Riley never really liked the idea of Crockett Island being their home as if they were shipwrecked and shipwrecked there and waiting to, for help to get there. Annie says, well, help is finally here, referring to Father Powell. And she, men she mentions how she doesn't even need her glasses anymore and how Ed, uh, Ed's back hasn't been an issue and that he's better than she's ever seen him in years. She says, Something's happening here, and I can't pretend it isn't. She tells him that she knows that he has struggled with his faith in the past, and he corrects her for what I did. For what I did. And she agrees and grabs his face and calls him her beautiful boy and continues by telling him that God isn't asking him to have faith on something that he can't see, but that he's asking him to look at what is happening right there and then. She asks, isn't that amazing? And Riley tells her, He's a liar, mom. Father Paul, maybe you're right. Maybe there's more. Maybe there's something for me and maybe there's a God and miracles. I don't know. But I know one thing for a fact. Father Paul lied to me tonight. So believe and pray for me. But please be careful. It is all that I ask. Riley hugs his mother and gives her a kiss and walks out of the room. We then see Father Paul in the recreation building and he's pacing back and forth and we see the bottle where he holds the communion wine is empty and he's mumbling and then we see a tall man with a coat walk in staring at him. And let me just point it out that this, the figure of this man looks like the ghost from the haunting of Hill House, the tall man with the long coat and the top hat, exactly the same. However, when we get a closer look at him, uh, it's actually not a man and not a ghost. He's the thing from the cave, the so-called fucking angel. Uh, I don't think it's an angel, but that's besides the point irrelevant. Uh, Father Paul asks him where he has been, and the angel just puts his fingers to his lip, and we see, like, this nasty, long-ass nail, like, coming out of his finger. as And he's, like, basically telling the father to shut the fuck up without even making a noise. Father Paul apologizes and tells him that he has been lost and how he's out of the sacrament. The thing starts walking towards the empty bottle. And this fool is tall as fuck. Tall as fuck. So he looks really like from behind. He looks exactly like the man that's fucking hunting. I mean, not the, the ghost that is uh, haunting Luke. Father Paul falls down to his knees and he begins to pray facing the ground. The angel then starts filling the bottle with his own blood. We then see Riley walking to Aaron's house and he is right in front of it when he remembers the lie that Father Paul told about Joe's sister. And he walks up to the recreation building and sees Father Paul praying in the floor. And Father Paul looks up and sees him and he just says, 
Oh. Riley looks over and sees the angel staring back at him. And Riley gets scared and is about to walk out when the angel fucking jumps from one end of the recreation building, like literally right towards the entrance, attacks Riley and begins to drink the blood from Riley's fucking neck. Then Father Paul gets up slowly, goes over to the door of the recreation building, and closes it. End of episode. Do y'all remember in the beginning of the episode when I said that this episode got me fucked up and angry? Well... Let's just get started with our segments because there's a lot of shit that we need to talk about that is traumatizing about this episode. So starting with that shit's traumatizing. Okay, I know I already like touched upon it earlier in the app, but being burned by the sun. Can you imagine? Actually, I do feel like that's like a medical condition. Some people that can't go out in the sun because they're allergic to the sun. Imagine being allergic to the sun. Imagine never being able to go to the danger, like never going day drinking, uh, never going to the pool during the day, never sun tanning. Well, I mean, who wants to sun tan, right? It gives you cancer. Imagine never going day drinking, fucked up fam. Day drinking is one of the uh, alcoholic alcohol-related activities that I really enjoy because it's out, you're out and about during the day. So imagine you want to go day drinking. Oh, wait, you can't. I get burned by the sun and not just like, uh, like burn, like a sunburn, more like I literally, my, my skin will start to fucking burn and turn to ash if if i go out in the sun so that's really traumatizing i don't want to think about that i don't want to think about never going to a danger again (laughs) also uh second thing on our that shit's traumatizing segment ad being honest with riley about how he's always felt as his father oh oh my god you already know how i feel about mother and daughter relationships but father and son relationships are just as complicated and they get me in my feels especially when it's a relationship like ed or like a man like ed that he seems like very very not uh, expressive of his feelings and you could tell that this bringing this up really cost him a lot but he did it because of course on the advice of father paul when he went to fucking confession I feel like maybe it wasn't what Riley wanted to hear and it wasn't like I don't I don't know how to word it. Maybe it wasn't the best thing to tell Riley, but I feel like it was the best thing for Ed to say. Like he needed to to speak his truth and get those words out of him because it's something that he he had been holding on to. And ending it with despite of everything, I love you my son. Like I love you. Cuz he knows Riley is a person with faults just like everyone else and Riley has even more faults than most people because he fucking killed someone um but despite it all still being able to tell his son that he loves him was very brave of Ed and you know we got to recognize when characters like Ed do these uh take these drastic measures to become a better person and maybe a better father 
So, yeah, I think it was also traumatizing because he's like he's telling him that they've never seen eye to eye. And he always thought that Riley thought like worst of him because of his blue collar job and because he never wanted to leave Crockett Island. And he's happy in Crockett Island. And Riley could never understand why his dad would stay would like why his family would would stay there. So I think just having those hard conversations about leaving the nest. I okay let me rephrase that I feel like when your family is so set and staying in one place leaving the nest can be like an act of defiance against your family even though it really isn't even though you love your family and you want what's best for them but you can't stay in one place just to satisfy your family you got to think about your own needs and I think that's what Riley did by leaving Crockett Island and I don't think uh Ed like his parents but Ed especially I don't think they understand where he's coming from so yeah playing devil's advocate you already know me such a fucking libra i'm such a fucking libra seeing both sides of the fucking story sigh um oh i already i already talked about it while i was going through the episode but the third traumatizing thing was when we find out we the audience find out that erin fell in love with someone that was just like her mother who fucking treated her like shit and her like slow realization of like oh you know he got angry he started yelling at the me like treating me like shit and then he finally hit me and he was a drunk and just recognizing those same patterns that she saw in her mom oh that breaks my heart and that's so traumatizing uh thank god i have great parents <laughs> thank god i'm only a little bit traumatized and not as much as most people but again going back to my my case of like that's why uh, abortion should be illegal some people were not born to be parents the same way that uh, some people were born to be parents and they love being parents and they're great at it but if someone doesn't want to have a child they shouldn't have a child uh yeah so donate to Planned Parenthood <laughs> And Supreme Court, if you're listening again, uh, you're going to catch these hands if something goes, if something, if Roe versus Wade gets canceled, uh, I don't know if canceled is the right, overturned, I don't know, I'm not a lawyer, I don't know anything, uh, you're going to catch these hands, catch me outside, but yeah, I feel so, I feel so much for Erin, I feel like, especially, especially because she fucked lost her baby she just had a fucking miscarriage and then we find out that the father of like the baby Littlefoot was like this person that mistreated her and she said that she would have died she would have literally died there like she would have never left if she had never gotten pregnant oh my heart um let's see oh just casual father paul drinking his own blood uh sir sir uh i think you get a diseases from that i think you shouldn't do that i don't think that's healthy sir father paul uh i know the bible says drinking the blood of christ but i don't think it's literal sir i think it's just non-alcoholic wine look even i was raised catholic maybe i'm not a fucking father or a priest or whatever but i know that we're not drinking fucking human blood when we drink the little um blood of christ uh when we go to church okay all right father paul please do better i feel like you're struggling right now and as we can see he was struggling because 
oh, this broke my fucking heart. Joe was trying so hard to stay sober. It was his fucking redemption arc. He was staying sober because he wants to be better. And he said, he like, he like quoted Father Paul, like, if you're struggling, just come to the church. And he did what he was told. He went to the church because he had a hard day fighting his addiction. And then Father Paul fucking killed him. Oh, now you can tell how angry I am. I'm literally screaming into a mic. I am so upset. I was rooting for fucking Joe Colley and his redemption arc. And now he's fucking dead. And Father Paul killed him just to drink his his blood. So that doesn't seem too, ho too holy, Father Paul. What's going on? Let's talk about it. Let's unpack it. You killing someone so you could survive. Mm, what does the Bible say against killing people? I think I think uh, murder is not welcome in the Bible. Also, you should treat others how you want to be treated. So you want people to kill you too? No, Father Paul. No, that's a big no-no. We do not stand. Me and all my homies are hating Father Paul at this moment. Also, Erin finding out that, like, the doctor fucking thinks she's crazy. Like, the mainland doctor, like, oh, like, you want to talk to the psychiatrist, blah, blah, blah. Like, you were never pregnant, ma'am. Ma'am, she was pregnant. Something's happening in Crockett Island. Something's happening in the crockpot. And it's nothing good. Uh, all things bad. No good things. No vibes. There's no vibes at all. That's what's happening in Crockett Island. Just Jesus-loving freaks. Uh, and Father Paul and his fucking weird-ass angel thing happening uh, and, and fucking Beth Keen I fucking hate Beth Keen me and all my homies also hate Beth Keen let's see and last thing that's traumatizing about this episode 10 minutes just speaking about what the fuck is traumatizing about this episode the fucking so-called angel the fucking angel attacking Riley and then Father Paul going to close the, the door to the rec center so that they could both attack Riley together, probably. No, I, I was... Look, the two people, the only two people that I was routing, that I was rooting for was Joe Colley and Riley because they're damaged beings. They're damaged human beings. And I wanted them to get better. I wanted them to become better fucking people. And now... Joe Coley is fucking dead. And then now Riley just got attacked by that thing. That thing is not an angel. Quote me on that. That is not a fucking angel. Look, I've never seen an angel. I I have seen ghosts, though, just, just in case y'all were wondering. <laughs> but I've never seen an angel. But I can fucking put my life that it does not look like that. I want to know where they got the archetype for what an angel should look like and why the fuck it looks like that. Or is that not an angel? I, I, I don't, I feel like Father Paul just saw things, just saw this thing with wings and he was like, that's a fucking angel. I feel like Father Paul did not do his research. And by Father Paul, I mean Monsignor Pruitt. You already know the deal. Monsignor Pruitt is Father Paul, but now he's young because of the angel, blah, 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 just in case I needed to unpack that. But, yeah, he did not do his research. I don't think that's an angel, Father Paul. Uh, let me see your sources. Cite your fucking sources because that ain't it. That ain't fucking it. And moving on to that shit's heartwarming. <laughs> 
Y'all, I am stressed. I am literally stressed from this fucking episode and going through everything that is traumatizing about it. But let's move on to our heartwarming segment. Uh, the, the fucking memory game that Sarah does to Mildred, to her mom, like, to make sure that her memory is getting better. And when she asks her, like, who am I? And she's like, you're my daughter. You're my love. You're my light. Like, I love you. Oh, again, I love it. I love it so much, especially with someone that has dementia. Um, my great grandma has really bad dementia, but when it first started, it was just like that. Like, do you remember who we are? Blah, blah, blah. So I feel it. I feel for it. And when she would remember, it was just like, ah, she's still in there. So just like seeing this moment, uh, my, my tiny little heart was glowing. And that was the only time it glowed. Just kidding. There are two other times. Um, uh, Riley staying with uh, Aaron like the night where after she found out she she had a miscarriage and he was just there for her and then he slept over and they didn't even like like they didn't even touch each other he was just there to be a good friend and a good person and just comfort her and you could tell a lot about two people that you know you could tell that there's like a very intimate moment between two people when you know there's a sexual attraction between them but they know that this traumatizing thing just happened so none of them tried anything like they just slept there and he was there for her and it was so beautiful oh my heart it's my my heart is heartwarming (laughs) my heart is warm And then Erin inviting Riley back. She's like, oh, well, I mean, we didn't get to have sex today. I mean, last night, but maybe tonight. Maybe she was feeling a little bit better. She's like, you should come back. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's happening. I don't think that's happening, Erin. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry the love of your life just got attacked by a fucking demon. Yes, I'm calling it a fucking demon. That was no fucking angel. What the fuck is that? I hate it so much. And why was it wearing a top hat and a long coat? What the fuck is happening? <laughs> it it did look like the fucking tall man from The Haunting of Hill House, though. When I first saw it from behind, I was like, fuck no. I think that was probably one of the scariest ghosts in The Haunting of Hill House. Things or people that are just way too tall scare the shit out of me. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a short king summer. Just kidding. No. Uh, well, mm, eh, we'll see. <laughs> All right, and I guess uh, I guess the Savage of the Week award goes to I don't know. I don't want to give it to Father Paul, but I feel like he was fuck a fucking savage for like asking Joe Collie for a hug and then just fucking killing him. Like, that's a savagery at its finest. And look, I might not respect it, but I, 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 should I give it to Father Paul? I feel like the Savage of the Week award is either going to to Father Paul or to the fucking demon. I'll give it to Father Paul. I don't want to give it to the demon. So yeah, Savage of the Week award, Father Paul, for being a savage and just killing uh, Joe Colley with no fucking remorse. And he's like, uh, God bless you. And then he fucking kills him. What the fuck? Oh, I'm so upset. I am so upset. I need a drink. I need a fucking drink after recording this episode. <laughs> 
But yes, we have gotten to the end of the episode. Uh, you already know the drill. Follow the podcast on social media on Instagram, where that show effed me up. F the spelled E F F E D. On Twitter, where that show fucked me up. That is spelled D A T. Fucked is spelled F C. F-C-K-E-D, so without a U. Give the podcast a five-star review on both Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Yes, you could leave a review on Spotify. It helps the podcast get visibility. That's what we want. We want more people to listen to me talk shit and be uh, frustrated and be annoyed with all of these fucking characters that I love and hate so much at the same time. It's definitely a love and hate relationship, but I mean, it always is with me. But yes, thank you so much for listening. Y'all are the bestest. Y'all are the coolest. Y'all are all icons. And yeah, remember, be gentle, be kind, and don't be an asshole unless you absolutely have to be. Goodbye.